Pastor Allen is, and to that I say we've all been abandoned. Um, he is off doing God's work, um, and so you guys are left with me today, unfortunately for you, but um, we're in an awesome series. We're on a, in a series on difficult people. How do we deal with difficult people in a biblical way that reflects Jesus' behavior? And last week, we heard from Pastor Allen about critical people. And I think uh, when they were planning this sermon, um, they had someone who could see the future in the room because that entire sermon was about me. And I don't care if you think it was about you, it was about me. <laughs> I've been dealing with some very critical people in my life lately. Um, and it was a great, great way to get some practical tools to you know, deal with some of the things that I've been dealing with. But what I realized as I was sort of you know, digesting last week's message that Pastor gave and sort of studying for this week's message on needy people. That's what we're going to be talking about this week is needy people. What I sort of realized in that is that in our series on difficult people, we're actually learning two things. The first thing we're learning is how to deal with difficult people in our lives, how to make sure that difficult people don't drag us down or ruin our day, but instead to take difficult people and, you know, respond to them in the way Jesus would. But what it's also been teaching me and what has been a really cool sort of switch has been this series is also about me. It shows me what it can look like to other people if I'm being difficult if I'm being too critical, if I'm being too needy. And I think this series is a great way to examine both sides of that relationship. And then in some cases, we are our own difficult people. Uh, a lot of times, I give myself more trouble than anybody else does. Um, and so this is a really cool series that just gives us some really great practical knowledge um, to learn about how to deal with those situations. So before we begin, I do want to pray, God... You're so awesome. You're so mighty and powerful and beautiful and loving. We thank you so much for such a beautiful morning, a beautiful, rainy, gloomy morning, but it is a morning that you made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, God. We're so awed at your power and the works that you do, bringing us all here together as a family to study your word and to learn together. God, you blow my mind every day, and I just pray this morning that you would come and sit with us, that you'd pick us up in your loving arms, and we would be at peace in your presence. In Jesus' name. All right, so this morning, like I said, we're going to talk about needy people, but the way I think is I can't talk about anything like this without first having some definitions. I feel like if we don't have definitions, we're not all coming from the same place necessarily, so we might not get as much done as we could if we define things. So I'm going to define three words today. The first two are need and want. You probably could have seen that coming. Anytime anyone talks about needy people, they talk about, oh, it's people who have wants, not needs. Um, and that's true, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but it's, we're going to get a little bit deeper than that. What I wanted to point out very briefly is that there is some overlap between the definitions of need and want. I'm pretty sure the first definition of want in the dictionary I looked up was to need something. Um, I understand that th that overlap exists. For the purpose of today, we're not going to be talking about that overlap. That's a whole nother, uh, whole nother lesson that we could spend an entire day on. But so with that in mind, the definition of need, I have four of them. I like to get a lot just to get some good context. 
need, a necessary duty or obligation, a lack of something requisite, desirable, or useful, a physiological or psychological requirement for the well-being of an organism, or a condition requiring supply or relief. Now, the important thing to note in all of those definitions and what makes it a need versus a want is a sense of almost urgency. In every single one of those definitions, there's something urgent about it, a necessary duty, something requisite or required, a requirement. These are all things that you have to have. Um, I'm sure most of us are familiar with, you know, the pyramid of needs. At the bottom, you got food, water, shelter, and then you have, you know, clothing and all that, and it goes up to social needs. But at the very bottom, there are things we have to have. Those are very clearly needs. But then we define the word want. Want can be defined four separate ways again. One, to have a strong desire for, to have an inclination to, to suffer from the lack of, and to fail to possess. The thing here is, there's a difference between the two. I can have an inclination to go get some ice cream. I can suffer from the lack of ice cream. I can fail to possess ice cream, as I often do when I open my freezer and there's nothing in there, even though I checked like 30 seconds ago. I thought something would appear. I don't know if I'm the only one who does that. Um, or I can have a strong desire for ice cream, but that does not mean that ice cream is something requisite for my existence. It's not a physiological or a psychological requirement for my well-being. I probably could argue that it's a requirement for my happiness, but maybe not my well-being. There's a difference between the two. Needs have an element of necessity or requirement, whereas wants are based on more feelings and emotions. And then before we get into the bulk of the message, I wanted to give you one last definition. And this applies to this week, but I think it applies to this whole series. Because as I was doing research on this topic, one thing that kept coming up and that I kept kind of butting up against is the tendency to see needy people or difficult people in general as bad. You know, it doesn't make me feel good, so maybe what they're doing is wrong or bad. And so today, I want to define the word difficult. What is something difficult? And by extension, what is a difficult person? I only have one definition of difficult. I'm going to be merciful on you with this one. Difficult is defined as hard to deal with, manage, or overcome. You notice in that definition, there's no moral words, not something wrong, not something bad. It's just hard to deal with, manage, or overcome. And I think that's really important to keep in mind as we talk about needy people today, because just because someone's in need doesn't make them a bad person. Just because someone's needy doesn't make them a bad person. So, with all that in mind, Let's get into the real meat and potatoes of this. The, we're going to talk about this in two parts. We're going to talk about what I'll be referring to as truly needy people. And then later on, we're going to be talking about what I like to call wanty people. And there's a big difference between the two. So first, let's talk about truly needy people. Just because someone has a genuine need for something doesn't mean they can't be difficult to deal with. For example, let's say you have a friend who, through no fault of their own, maybe lost their job. 
can't seem to find a job. They're genuinely trying. They're out in the job market. They're on all the websites. They've gone to interviews. And it's just not panning out. In today's society, one needs money to a certain extent to exist. You just do. It's just how society works. Someone with no cash may come to me and say, I, you know, I really could use some help. I'm really in need. And depending on my financial situation, it might be difficult to help that person. It might be difficult to solve their need. But that does not mean they're wrong for being in that situation in the first place. The problem is, and what makes it difficult, is it can be very hard and detrimental to try and fulfill a truly needy person's needs. Imagine that. The thing here is, in order to help someone in genuine need, the need itself, I know I'm saying the word need a lot, but bear with me, we'll get past it. The need itself must be met. Something must be given. If I need, what, 90 bucks to get a hotel for a night, maybe that's optimistic, I have to have $90 to solve that need. That's something. Whatever that need is, is a resource that we use. And every day, we have a finite amount of resources, a finite amount of time, a finite amount of money, et cetera, et cetera. So if we just imagine this water bottle is my day's resources, right? And I have, let's say I budget out an X amount of money for myself, and I have 24 hours in a day. Uh, I only have a certain amount. It's finite. But recently, a lot of behavioral psychologists in studying the brain and human behavior have started saying that on top of those physical, tangible, finite resources we have, there are also metaphysical, not so tangible, finite resources that we have. For example, let's say you start a new workout program or you talk to some fitness guru. I guarantee you that person will probably say, work out in the morning. Why? Because humans have a finite amount of motivation in a day. We have a finite amount of perseverance in a day. We have a finite amount of patience in a day. And if you disagree with me, tell me what you're like at the end of a really long day at work when the guy cuts you off in traffic and your boss is on your back all day and then you get home and the car's oil needs to be changed and you got a flat tire. And you tell me you have an infinite amount of patience in a given day. It's just not how it works because we're humans. And in order to fulfill the needs of a genuinely needy person, we have to give some of our resources. So, when dealing with truly needy people, the best way to protect yourself and to benefit them is to know your own limits. Know how much goes in this bottle at the beginning of the day. And I don't think there's any better way to see this exemplified than in Matthew 15, 29 through 38. So I'm open to it here. I'll give you guys a second to open to it. I think we also have it on the slide if you don't have your Bibles with you. Cool. Um, did you? 28. Yes. Okay. So let's read that together, and then we'll break it down. Verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So before we move on, we start off with, in this passage, someone asks Jesus to 
heal her daughter. And Jesus says, I'm good. I'm full. And heals her daughter. We could have read the whole story, but that's really not the part we want to get into. The point here is that Jesus starts by, yes, fulfilling someone's need. Jesus set that example for us. And as Christians, it is our responsibility to seek to help others. I mean, that's the nature of this thing. But then in verse 29, we get into an interesting story. It says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me three days now and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat, and went to the region of Magadan. Right. So let's break that down. I mean, we've all heard this story. It's told multiple times in the Bible by multiple different people in multiple different ways. But what I want to look at today is how Jesus and his disciples used their resources wisely and knew their limits. So, the people in the crowd had a true need. First, when they came to Jesus, you know, there were the lame and the blind, and Jesus healed them because he wasn't in that moment, I'll give you a little hint for later on, what he was pulling on was God's resources, which, believe it or not, are infinite. But then he says, and this is where we really get to it, he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Three days without eating is a long time. I don't care if you think you can do it. It's the worst. I, um, for part of my diet right now, a little sidetrack, I fast on Mondays and Fridays. I just have a cup of coffee in the morning and then I drink water. That's all day. And it makes me really, really irritable. It's very funny. I don't get hungry anymore. But by the end of the day, I'm just like, I hate all of you, every one of you. You're the worst. I want to leave work. I don't want to talk to anybody. But so going through one day without eating is really bad. Going through three days without eating is almost insufferable, right? So Jesus said, they might even faint if they leave now and they don't eat something. And then the disciples, I think in the past when I researched or when I read this passage, I always saw the disciples saying, you know, we, we can't feed them. There's no way. We have seven loaves and, and a couple little fish. We can't feed them. Because I knew the end of the story, I think I always read that and thought, oh, they have very little faith. God, Jesus wants to feed them. He can feed them. But really, if we look into it, what the disciples are doing here is on the right track. 
they looked down at what they had, and they said, in order for us to feed all of them, we, one, physically don't have enough. We'd have to go get more. And even if we did give away what we had to try to feed some of them, we would have nothing left for ourselves. God says to be good stewards of what we're given. And oftentimes that means knowing when we can no longer give. The disciples looked at their resources and realized they could not feed them all. They knew their limits. Now, Jesus, being Jesus, knew that God could do something amazing here and said, go ahead and start feeding them. And obviously, God, in his infinite resources, was able to feed everyone there. But here's the interesting part. Even Jesus, even the man who said, take seven loaves and feed it says 4,000, it was probably closer to like 6,000 to 8,000 people, counting the women and the children. At the very end, it says, and he sent away the crowds, or after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Jesus didn't continue there with them, right? He healed their, their, their wounds and their ailments. He solved that need. And then he said, in order for them to go... In order for them to leave, they must have food. So he fed them. And then he sent them away. What Jesus realized here is three key concepts. The first one, and I'm sorry, I don't have fancy, fancy notes like Pastor Allen, so imagine that. You guys can't just like snap pictures of the slides. You actually got to take notes. Um, I'm a horrible note taker. I wouldn't judge anybody. Um, but no, three key concepts. The first, we as humans, have limits to how much we can help others before we harm ourselves. It's the classic example of, you know, you've got someone drowning, and if you get too close to them, they'll pull you down with them because, you know, they're drowning and they're not able to control themselves. It's basically that. The second thing he realized was that where our resources and abilities end, God's do not. That's where Jesus was able to say, yes, we only have... X amount of fish and X amount of bread, but I have faith that God sees fit to fulfill this need. And the third thing that Jesus realized was that when we are empty, we need time to replenish. We always need time to replenish. Humans are not bottomless pits of anything. We will always run out of what we're doing or feeling. In fact, Jesus himself, the son of God, the guy who was constantly connected to him, went away by himself to replenish constantly. Just very quickly, some verses. You, these, we don't have these up on the slide, but Matthew 14, 23. After he had sent them away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and slipped out to a solitary place to pray. Luke 6, 12. In those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. Then he spent the night in prayer to God. Luke 9, 28. About eight days, after Jesus had said these things, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Constantly, over and over and over, we see a very distinct pattern. Jesus, a man, yes, the Son of God, but a man, would do something, some mighty work. He would teach. He would preach. He would give a lesson. And then he always would back away, send everybody else away, and he'd spend time with God. 
Because we, as people, are like this bottle. It's a finite amount. And when you pour it all out, it has to be refilled before you can pour it out again. A lot of times in my life, what makes it so hard to deal with difficult, truly needy people is I don't know when to fill myself back up. I, and I think a lot of men are this way, at least I've heard, I'm a fixer. You present me with a problem and my knee-jerk reaction is make it better. In fact, I've had to make a habit. So many people have called me on this over time that I've had to make a habit of someone will come to me with something that they're really struggling with and I have to stop and go, okay, do you want me to solve this for you or do you want me to listen and understand? And half the time they say, just listen. And I'm like, okay, now I know what I need to do. But my knee-jerk reaction is to, okay, well, here's how I would do that. If I do that too much, I can empty myself out. And then the problem is when I'm empty and I go to pour more out into something, I'm left with nothing. Or, and here's the really bad part, I'm left with what I filled it up with. I'm not left with what God wants to fill it up with. That's where it gets really dicey. When I empty myself out, and at the end of the day, I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I don't study. Instead, I go and watch a bunch of movies, and I play video games, and I, you know, go and hang out with the wrong people. And then when someone comes to me in true, genuine need, I don't have what they need to solve it, which to me is an even bigger heartbreaker than the need in the first place, because then I let somebody down. I lost my place. What do you know? (laughs) Jesus knew that the best way to deal with difficult, needy people is this. Know the limits of your resources, because past a certain point, we, we stop being able to help anyway. And to know how and when to leave and replenish. Now, sadly, that takes a lot of self-knowledge, and self-knowledge hurts because when I have knowledge of myself, I see how crappy I am. Uh, But you have to have that to truly know when you're at empty. Okay, so we've talked about people in true, genuine need. But a lot of times when you hear the word needy, you don't really think of Someone who really needs something. When you say, oh, she's so needy, what you're probably talking about is a wanty person. So we're going to talk about wanty people. These are the people that you think about when you hear the word needy. It's that significant other, that boss, that whoever, who's always pulling on you and your resources. And they come in many forms. They could be insecure people. You know, are we okay did I offend you? I'm so sorry. I'm so ugly. I'm so fat. I say that a lot. Um, But people who are just constantly drawing on your positivity. To me, those people, those people in me are like oil and water. I I can't deal with negative people. I try, but it's, I'm not good at it. There could be drama paths. That's, that's a Sam Chase word. A drama path is a mix between a drama queen or king and a sociopath. Uh, Someone who has no inkling of other people's feelings and emotions. 
These people are the people who make everything a huge deal. Everything is, the world is coming to an end. And the sociopath part is it's only their world. It's only theirs. It's no one else's. Nobody else's issues matter. But their issues are literally going to cause the end of the world probably today. And then, you know, someone, uh, a wanty person could be just a talkaholic. I used to be one of these. Someone who just wants all your time, all of your attention, all the time. They always have something they want to talk about. They always have something they want to tell you about. Always have something that they need to fill you in on. Believe it or not, even if they're being nice, even if they're just trying to be friendly, that's a needy person because they need your engagement all the time. But what makes these people so difficult? What really, at the core, is what makes this so hard to deal with? Well, the problem is, and we're calling them wanty people, the problem is they present their wants as needs. They make everything dramatic and overblown to the point that the fact that they just feel a little sad today because it rained suddenly becomes, I need your attention. Now. I've dealt with those people. The significant other and the boss that I mentioned, those were mine. Um, but no, they present their wants as needs. And to us as Christians, that can be exhausting because we're taught to give. Throughout the Bible, we're given examples of people who are glorified for giving abundantly to others. So when someone at least comes to me and presents what they think is a need, it might really be a want, but comes to me with that, my first reaction is, you know what, I should love this person. I should probably try to help them. And that drains me, and I guarantee I'm probably not giving them what they actually need. I'm just filling what they want for right now so that tomorrow when they come back, we're going to be in the same spot. They expect you to fulfill their needs. This is an important distinction because wanty people don't want to do what it takes to fill their own needs. I do this myself sometimes. I become a wanty person when I get lonely and sad. And the problem is I don't want to solve the problem. I don't want to go talk to people because I had a bad day and I don't want to talk to anyone. But I want people to talk to me. They should know I'm sad today and they should text me and tell me I'm awesome and pretty. And then when you don't fulfill that person's needs, because really people who are wanty, it's often impossible to really fulfill their needs because they're not asking for it. And normally they don't want it. They make a big stink out of it. One of the biggest reasons needy people come to us, and this one really hurts for me, is because they have a reason to. They've done it before, and it's worked before, because in the past, maybe we gave a little too much. Maybe we had a little too much leeway with them. And from then on, they know that, boy, if I go to Sam, he'll sit there and he'll talk to me until 3 a.m. because I had something bad for lunch or something like that. If I am not very aware of my boundaries, then people will very easily take advantage of those. So how do we deal with them? How do we deal with wanty people? I've got four ways to deal with wanty people, and then we're almost done, everybody. Don't worry. Not going to keep you too long today. So how do we deal with these people? The first thing that we do, first and foremost, always, is pray for a loving and understanding heart. 
a loving and understanding heart, the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. We pray to have that love because clearly something is wrong here. A wanty person, clearly they're missing something. Maybe they don't know what it is, and maybe it's a little foggy for you to figure out what it is, but clearly something's wrong. And like I said, it is our job as Christians to try and help people. That's what we do. That's what Jesus did. So first, we have to pray for that understanding, that sympathy, that empathy, that love. The second thing that we have to do is we have to try to find, if we're going to at all, if we decide this is the kind of person or the person that we want to spend time with and develop our relationship with, we have to try and solve and find their actual need, not their apparent want. I'll say that again because this one's really important. It's better to try and solve their actual need than their apparent want. There's a story in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, or in Acts chapter 3, where a crippled man is sitting outside of the city, and the apostle Paul comes into the city, and the crippled man looks at him and goes, do you have any gold or silver? Basically saying, you know, I, I have no money. I'm crippled. I can't get a job. And in Acts 3, 6, Paul says this, I don't have money, but I have something else. By the power of Jesus Christ, stand. And the man stands. He gets up. And Paul says, don't tell everybody, go and walk and show people what God has done today. What Paul did here is he didn't look at the apparent want he looked at the actual need. So, for example, let's consider what I brought up a second ago of the person who, you know, maybe they're down on their luck, don't have a job, don't have any money, and they say, yeah, I just need a, a, just a hundred bucks, man, just to make it through the week. Their apparent want is some money, but maybe their actual need is to just go and look for some jobs, actually look, not just say I'm looking. Maybe what that person needs is encouragement, to get back out there, get back into the job market, because we all know it's the worst. It's annoying. The point here is that at the base of every wanty person, there is something missing. There is a need at the base of it. It's our job as Christians to sort of cut through the extra and try to get to the heart of that need. The third thing we can do to deal with wanty people is to set healthy boundaries. I cannot stress this enough. Set healthy boundaries. You know, I was, I was homeschooled, um, and so what that meant is I spent all of my time learning from my mom over there, who is probably the smartest person I've ever met. She's way too smart. Um, and she loves books, right? So I read a ton of books when I was in school. And not all of them were necessarily school books. A lot of them were books on theology and doctrine and just, you know, good practice. One of the books that I read, or I think I read a part of at least, was a book called Boundaries. And it opens with this little story of these two parents who have a son they're struggling with, right? And the son lives at home, doesn't have a job, late 20s, he's you know, eating all their food, taking handouts, and he's horrible to them all the time. He's just a jerk. He doesn't respect them, doesn't thank them, doesn't love them, none of that. And the parents are like, you know what? We're going to help our son. So they go to counseling. 
and they tell the counselor all this jazz about what's going on, and the counselor looks at them and goes, okay, so from what it sounds like to me, your son's fine. You guys have a problem. And they're like, no, we don't. We don't have, he's the one with no money and no job. And the counselor goes, well, see, here's the thing. The reason he's like that is because you let him be. When he's being just a little turd, you're still giving him money. You're still letting him live there for free. The problem was, and the reason, hey, hint, hint, the reason it was the preface to a book called Boundaries, the point is the parents didn't have good boundaries. And that's how it is with all wanty people. Boundaries are essential. Boundaries on your time. You know what? I, you pick up the phone and say, okay, I've got an hour. For an hour, we can talk and figure this whole thing out. And then at the end, I have to go do X, Y, and Z. I have a commitment. I can't sit here and give you all my time today. We have to have healthy boundaries with our money. You know, I, dude, I bought you lunch yesterday. Why don't you have your wallet today? You know, just simple things like that. Having boundaries. Boundaries on our affection. That one hurts for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm absolutely someone I love being affectionate with people in all forms, not just necessarily like physical affection, but I love loving people. I love being in good relationships with people, but that can come back to bite me because if I'm, too, if I'm giving too much, I can give to the wrong people, and in all good relationships, it's a give and take, and in relationships with the wrong person, it's only give, 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 and you get nothing back. For me, that can be really painful, and that's how it is for most people. So we have to have healthy boundaries on our affection as well. And then the fourth thing, uh, and the last thing that I would say is important for dealing with wanty people, is accepting that even if we can help, doesn't mean it is our place. Just because I have the resources doesn't mean it's necessarily my place now or ever to fulfill the needs of those people. Jesus loved everyone, obviously, and it's who he is, he's Jesus. But if you read the Bible, he did not grant every request, request that was made to him. Not even close. In fact, half the time when people would ask something of them, he'd do exactly what Paul did. And he'd go, no, I'll do you one better normally. But he didn't grant every request. And, to add on top of that, sometimes helping someone is the last thing they need. Sometimes we have to sit in our circumstances, which really is the worst. But sadly, sometimes the best thing we can do for someone is to say, no, this is the bed you've made. you got to lay in it. And what that does is it allows them to feel consequences, to feel, you know, the ramifications of their actions. At the end of the day, today we're talking about needy people and wanty people, but the word needy is the, the title of the sermon. At the end of the day, we need one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus, the never-ending, flowing, life-giving water. And at the heart of every human need or want 99% of the time, it comes back to what they need is a touch from Jesus. If someone's being very dramatic and overblown, maybe what they need is to spend some time with Jesus and realize that in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. 
if someone's being very insecure and they don't feel like anyone loves them, what they really need probably is to feel the love of God. A lot of my life I spent horribly insecure, horribly insecure, and I struggle with it to this day. And one of the biggest things, or the biggest thing, not one of, the biggest thing that got me out of that mostly is knowing that I have a Savior who loves me more than any one person on this earth ever could and loves me better than any one person on this earth ever could. People in our lives who have needs and have wants and come to us are an opportunity. Even if they're difficult, even if it's hard to put up with, it is an opportunity to represent Jesus to them. But at the same time, we have to remember that we have a finite amount of resources in a day. But God does not. So when we have to say, you know what, it's been an hour. I gotta go. I can't talk anymore. That doesn't mean we can't pray for that person. Doesn't mean we can't lift them up. Doesn't mean we can't call on God to use his unlimited love and affection and time and effort and all of those things to help that person how they need it most. And the cool part is, God knows what they need way better than we do. Way better. And if you think otherwise, look in here. Guys, I am so happy that we got to talk about this today. It's such an important topic. It's such a real topic. It's something we have to deal with almost every day. At least I do, in some form or fashion. And this entire series on difficult people is all about relationships and our relationships with other people and how do we navigate them like Jesus. And this morning, I think we've gotten a little bit of a glimpse into maybe how Jesus would have us deal with difficult, needy people. Knowing our boundaries, knowing where our resources end, but knowing that within that, we can give freely. We can give as much as Jesus would. God, I pray that this morning that you would once again meet with us, Lord. Show us the true boundlessness of what you are and what you have. Show us your true ability to fulfill actual needs, Lord. Don't fulfill our wants. Don't fulfill the things that is just, you know, a flying passion of the day, something gone in an hour, Lord. But fulfill our needs like you always have. Lord, you say in your word that you care for the animals of the field. How much could you care for us? Lord, let us trust that you are the fulfiller of all needs. And when we become needy people, Lord, because I know I do, when we become needy or wanty people, Lord, align us with your purpose. Align us with your vision. And Lord, remind us that you are the source of all good things. You are the father of the heavenly lights and every good and perfect gift comes down to us from you. God, you're so amazing. You're so mighty. You're so powerful. And this morning, Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word, to be with you, and to learn how to deal in relationships like you would. In Jesus' name. Guys, 